0: What does it take to live a long and happy life? Well, the answer is simpler than you might think, and it's coming up on Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a science, and it's actually younger than the internet, believe it or not.
1: We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place.
0: This is Live Happy Now. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sanders, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I also want to remind you that if you like what you hear on this show and you want to add a little more positivity to your day, you can do that anytime on our website at livehappy.com or by picking up the latest issue of Live Happy Magazine at your favorite local newsstand or bookstore. This week, we're talking with Merlin Thomas, a physician, scientist, and program leader in the newly created Department of Diabetes at Monash University. Merlin is well-known as an opinion leader, researcher, and medical storyteller, and he specializes in how to live longer and better. He's the author of several best-selling books, including The Longevity List and Fast Living, Slow Aging. He's also the host of the Chopping List podcast, we talk with Merlin about how we can all live longer, better lives. Well, uh, Merlin Thomas, we're glad to have you here. Thanks for taking some time out and
2: uh, and spending it uh, talking with us about longevity.
1: Thanks for having me on your show. It's a real pleasure.
2: Well, you've done a lot of research into this area, and I know whenever we've, we've had a guest that's kind of uh, dove into these sorts of things, they always find some very interesting things, things that surprise them. Was there anything about your research into longevity that really just shocked you?
1: Well, I mean, every day we do many things that we think are going to be good for us, and, and we spurn the things that we, we know are bad for us. And I do this all the time with my with my four kids. You know, I go, should I be telling them to be eating this, or should I be doing, doing that? And so one of the reasons that I wrote the longevity list was actually to try and find the stories behind why we might think that for example, chocolate was bad for you, that, that that booze may be good for you or bad for you at the same time. Those sort of questions, but also why the folklore behind things. And one classic example is I found myself the other day telling my kids, oh, maybe they should be eating their crusts. And so I had, I had to stop and think, and then I went back. And uh, my son, my 10-year-old son and I did an experiment where we weighed the crusts at the end of a toast-eating exercise of our five-year-old and found out that he'd left behind around about 40% of the calories from his food. And that's probably not a bad thing for him to do. He's probably more waste-conscious than we are, (laughs) and yet we're telling him to eat it. So I actually learned a lot by asking questions about the things that we tell ourselves every single day. And the reason that the longevity list has been so much fun for me is I've been able to take my science background and dig into the details about chocolate, about booze, about caffeine, about fish oil, about... All of those important things and try and find the real answers behind the folklore.
2: All the fun stuff. Uh, you, get to, you get to dive into the fun stuff there. Uh, <laughs> you, you, uh, you mentioned all these different foods and it seems like, and it's, it's, I think every comedian has done a bit on this, about how we never know if eggs are good for us. It happens every week that, uh, well, now eggs are good. Uh, now eggs are bad. Uh, why, why do you think we're so unable to come up with the definitive answer on some of these things?
1: I mean, one of the really interesting things about about food is the idea that it can either be um, – it must either be good or it is bad. Um, but it is possible that it can be both at the same time um, and, and uh, in certain circumstances. And a classic example, of course, is is the booze where the famous poet Homer Simpson once says <laughs> that, you know, the alcohol is both the cause and, and cure of all ills. And that's absolutely true for people who regularly consume a small amount of um, alcohol every single day. That's about one or two drinks for a man or about half that for a woman. They actually end up having significantly um, better and a, a longer life. And it's not just because they have fewer hangovers. They are <laughs> the kind of people who have got better self-control, better self-awareness, and they do better. But clearly, When you compare that to someone who drinks a bottle of wine a a, a single day, their health outcomes are significantly worse. So there's always a middle ground between something that is performance enhancing and performance inducing and each of us have to find that middle ground and essentially the book goes about and says what is the bad elements of things like booze or chocolate and caffeine that we can limit and what are the good things that we can take from it Um, at at certain times in certain places. And another example of this is is our caffeine love. You know, Mm. there are so many people who love their caffeine in the morning. They'd swear that it was life-preserving and health-enhancing. But I tell you, if if any of you are going out driving tonight and you have a little bit of caffeine on board, actually, it improves your driving performance. It improves your concentration. Obviously, too much, and it causes other problems as well. But a little bit is is performance enhancing. And so we can use things that we have available to it to improve our, not only performance, but our quality of life. But when we go too far or equally don't have them at all, then the benefits can disappear equally as well.
2: Well, I like I that you mentioned the Homer Simpson line because he is my probab- – well, he's probably my favorite poet named uh, Homer. Um, but secondly, I like that you mentioned the caffeine thing because there are so many people and I know this is an American thing and I assume it's a thing uh, across a lot of the English-speaking world since we all kind of uh, uh, borrow a lot of our culture from uh, the British. It, it, it is – is a cup of coffee in the morning? Is that something, or or maybe two or three cups of coffee in the morning? Is that something that can be detrimental to our health in the long term, though?
1: Uh, uh, only if it degree, disagrees with us or our wallet. In, in, rea- <laughs> in reality, most people, um, you know, take caffeine in the morning, quintessentially as a performance-enhancing drug. We in Australia at the moment have a, uh, our, our, our our horse racing season, and caffeine, as well as Theobromine, the chemical found in chocolate, are both banned in horse races because it improves their performance. Hmm. So it's not surprising that we use coffee and tea literally to enhance our concentration, our alertness, and, and memory. That's not dangerous. In fact, it's sometimes quite essential um, to, to have it before morning coffee before <laughs> yes. we <can't> do anything. <laughs> Otherwise, we're in a miserable mood and not paying attention. For sure. But essentially, those people who have large amounts of of coffee um some people find that uh, they it disagrees with them equally it disagrees with their their wallets as i said before in terms of the cost <laughs> of all of those things there are a few people however in digging back on this important question that have managed to um kill themselves with coffee there was a famous uh frenchman called called balzac who was famous for drinking 50 uh, to 60 espressos a day and then Ugh. finding himself needing more he uh, he started eating coffee grounds, and he was supposedly killed of, of, as a result of drinking uh, large amounts of, of, of coffee and caffeine. Um, there was no mention of the fact that he lived in an artist hovel, um, refused to sleep and drank large amounts <laughs> of cheap French wine, but his coffee, his coffee addiction was the cause of his death. But there are other famous people as well. Um, Beethoven also was uh, a famous person for drinking um, you know, 40 to 50 uh, uh, cups of coffees today. That, that wasn't the reason he went deaf. But it may have explained his hair, interestingly, because actually caffeine put on your scalp, as many of the conditioners you can buy from the pharmacies nowadays, actually stimulates hair growth. Um, Mm. You'd have to take, you know, nearly 50 to 60 cups a day internally to get that much to reach your hair. But maybe if he poured an espresso on his head or drank that much, (laughs) maybe that explains Beethoven's hair.
2: I was gonna say maybe uh, uh, my brother, who's got a little bit of a receding hairline going on, he just goes down to the Starbucks instead of the Rogaine aisle, and then and then things are going to be better for him.
1: Uh, and 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 of course the other thing is that that the, um, the coffee has this lovely staining effect, so it'll mm. make his hair nice and brown instead of gray. So there's well, there a double go. advantage there. So.
2: There you go. And he's a, he's got brown hair, and maybe I'll have to use it then because I'm prematurely graying thanks mom for those uh <clears throat> genetics anyway uh speaking of mom you mentioned red wine and uh <laughs> her producer's laughing at me uh red wine that, that's one thing that you always hear uh, maybe it's an old wives tale or maybe it's something that that pops on the news every so often but you hear that uh, red wine in moderation can be good for you is that something you found to be true
1: well that that again that's a really important question and one of the reasons of I wrote the longevity list was to try and to try and ask these questions, you know, people say, oh, it's the red wine that's good for you compared to the, the, the other kinds of drinks that you have. But, mm-hmm. but essentially, alcohol is a test of, if you like, self-control or self-awareness. And for those who pass the test, alcohol can be one of life's great pleasures. It's not something we feel that we need to or, or want to give up. It actually doesn't make us any, any physically healthier. But at least it makes us feel like we're having some good health. Mm. But it's a very delicate balance. And, of course, one glass can easily become more, especially if the bottle is already open. The reason that red wine gets most of the kudos is that people who have a moderate drinking habit, you know, one glass with their meal, etc., usually drink wine with their meal. And so that's the pattern that they use. And so this is the reason that wine seems to be a, a good deal. But when you look at the data on average, people who manage to drink Let's say um, one uh, uh, one glass of beer a night, or or have a a, a, a nip of whiskey a single night. They also have um, very good health outcomes. In other hmm. words, it's not the alcohol; it's the it's the way that we use it that actually makes an enormous difference overall. And if we use it badly, drinking to excess contributes to much as much poor health and reduced longevity around the world as you know even in even obesity and smoking combined. So yeah. we have to do something about our control. Now, there are different ways that we can do that. One way is to, I, I find my favorite way, is to buy expensive wine. And you know what? It tastes really good, but you don't drink too much of it, otherwise you run out of money. Right. <laughs> it's a very good way, it's a very good way of, of limiting. You get all of the rewards, you get all of the self-control, um, and you get all of the pleasure out of it at the same time. also works the same way with... Uh, with expensive craft beer i find for, for myself yeah but the problem is that when you start being exposed to you know cheap alcohol or cheap beer then you start going oh this is really easy and it's easy to become a little bit uh carried away and then of course you get into reduced performance and um all of those uh, bad things that happen with with drinking uh, and dancing on tables etc etc <laughs> but, but the truth is that you know like garrison keeler says there's nothing funnier than a man after his first drink, <laughs> but then <laughs> yeah. we go too far. Yeah, and that's absolutely true. It actually, it ha- that first drink improves, um, you know, our, our sense of humour. It liberates us a little bit. But if we go too far, then it has bad effects on our health. And so this this is the whole trick about longevity. Longevity is the it's the middle road, the golden mean like Goldilocks describes between two extremes. And the classic example of this was the story of a guy called Daedalus who, who was a, um, uh, uh, an architect of a, of a famous, uh, uh, the labyrinth of King Minos in Greece. And because he leaked the, the plans for the, the, um, the labyrinth to the rebellion and they killed the, the Minotaur, he got imprisoned in a tower and was going to be sentenced to death. But he, being a really clever guy, said, hey, this is the way to a long life. So he grabbed the leaves that had blown in on the wind and the candle wax, and he constructed him and his son a pair of wings. And he said to his son, this is the way to longevity. If you jump out this window, if you fly not too high and not too low, you can live a long life. If you don't fly so close to the sun, your wings will melt or too low to the ground, because the sea fog will grab you and pull you down, there is a golden way through, and this is Mm. the way to a long life. And he, deadless, jumps out the window, flies off into the sunset, and lives quite happily ever after. Of course, what happens with his son, his son, whose name was Icarus, jumps out the window and goes, hey, great, look, I can fly. This is so much fun. What's the problem here? And so he flies too close to the sun, his wings get sunburnt, and, of course, then he gets, falls down. The sea fog grabs, and, and Icarus drowns. And that is the story of many peoples in their lives. It's the, mm. it's the, it's the extremes that are the problem. Whereas if we can find a golden mean for each, each, each of us, the right amount of booze, not too much, not too little, the right amount of chocolate, the right amount of caffeine, we can actually survive like Daedalus to live a, a healthy life. It's all about finding that middle road um, um, to, uh, to get through.
2: It, it almost becomes cliche. And I think maybe then uh, people kind of tune it out, but the, everything in moderation is really, uh, just a good guideline for just about everything in your life. Uh, whether it Except be for poisons, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Poisons just don't do that
1: at all. Um, but <laughs> so, so, so things, so things like trans fats and things like, um, uh, nicotine and, and the stuff in cigarette smoke, there's no safe limit for any of them. Right. So so, so so there's no there's no golden mean for something that has, has no safe limits. But for the other things like chocolate and booze and caffeine, there is a middle road. And those that take the middle road, if you look at the statistics, they are the ones that lead longer lives and healthier lives as a result.
2: Absolutely. And, and, it, and it goes to reason too, and, and not just with with things that you ingest and, and all of that too, but the, the idea of moderation. We've, we have had study after study uh, that we've talked about on this show and, and, and elsewhere uh, through our other uh, various media properties. That uh, if you're doing something that's pleasureful too much, you kind of even get addicted to that dopamine that comes in. And uh, that can be a problem as well, because uh, then then the good stuff never really feels all that good anymore. and and uh, the bad stuff can really crush you. so it's it's a good idea to find that with everything unless it's, as you said, Nicotine and uh, trans fats and those types of things. But I'm glad that you brought up uh, uh, trans fats because one of the questions that that I always have and, and different nutritionists kind of have uh, different guidelines for this, but the idea that there is such thing as good fat that you shouldn't avoid at all costs is that such a is that a real thing? Is that something we need to be conscious of?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Again, one of the reasons behind the longevity list was to try and look at all these myths. And I always found myself going, oh, oh, I'm supposed to, you know, have low fat milk, or I'm supposed to give my kids kids low fat alternatives. And then, of course, me as the scientist and and the book writer of the longevity list went, but what's this low fat thing all about? What is it that when I'm taking the fat away, I'm either replacing it with or um, that I'm missing out on? And we know very clearly that Fat in our food has a a bad name more than any other component in our diet. Fat's regarded as the arch enemy of our waistlines, so much so until very recently, cutting out the fat and the low-fat label were synonymous with that good, healthy alternative. But the truth is we're not simply what we eat. Just because we eat fatty food doesn't mean we're going to get fat, and equally, a low-fat diet doesn't always mean we're going to lose weight, unfortunately. Mm. Extra calories from any source ultimately lead to more fat in our diet, no matter if it started out as fat or or sugar as protein. And so essentially overeating anything, um, you know, will still make us fatter, even if it's branded as the low-fat. It's just that we need to eat more of the low fat choices than our standard fare in order to pack on the same number of pounds. So that means that, you know, we can choose the low-fat milk because we don't need those extra calories and we can still sustain all of the the benefits of those things. We get plenty of fat from our diet, meaning that we don't really need to you know, eat more of this or, or whatever, but certainly we could use less of it. One of the other famous stories is the idea that we're eating too many of one kind of fat rather than another, and it's, it's the imbalance that has led a, some people to, for example, in the United States, large numbers of people take fish oil tablets and, and eat lots of oil yeah. fish, and the idea that somehow that will miraculously offset the uh, the bad fats that they would take at other times. And that was a really, you know, I, I, I've i heard that story many, many times, and I've gone past the aisle seeing those fish oil tablets on special in the, in the pharmacy going, wow, that, that looks interesting, maybe I should get into this. But yeah. actually the idea that, that fish oil could somehow offset the toxic effects of a fat-rich diet really was conceived in the 1960s, um, even before your iPhone was conceived, <laughs> and when it was thought that the Inuit people of Greenland had magically low rates of heart disease, despite all the fat that they ate and almost no green vegetables that they ate. But no one actually checked this fact, and they just assumed that it was case, the case. And when you look at the data, the actual, the Inuit actually had higher rates of strokes and lower life expectancies. Um, but nonetheless, the, the story came that, you know, Eskimos were protected because they had fish oil, and therefore it was fantastic, and that subsequent trials really haven't shown fish oils does too much for people. And in fact, even worse, fish oils are unstable at room temperature and they concentrate plasticizers and other chemicals from the ocean environment. So even when they sit in a capsule they can still go off. And of course rancid fish oil is probably harmful for human health. Yeah. So the idea is relatively sound, but the, the way that we've gone about it, you know, fish oil is for fresh fish. Everything else unnecessary.
2: Yeah, I, I always get a little bit skeptical of these miracle uh, drugs and, and, and those types of things. And, and fish oil for me is number one. I've been hearing that peddled uh, everywhere from, from radio shows to, to magazines and all those sorts of things. But are there foods you, – you hear the, ter- the, the term superfoods. Are there actually foods uh, that, that we should be considering uh, putting more into our diet because they do give us uh, the best nutritional bang for our buck?
1: Well, there, that's a really interesting question. Again, one of the reasons for the for the longevity list is I found myself, you know, listening to myself and my wife going, you know, eat your vegetables; they make you stronger. You know, mm-hmm. like Superman, make you strong. But do they actually make you stronger? And so, of course, I I thought I'd go and dig about that. And I asked people at the at the Australian Sport Institute, and I asked all those other people what is listed in terms of vegetables as as performance-enhancing drugs. Of course. Popeye had his spinach can, right. um, which were, which which had had very relatively relatively little uh, performance enhancing drugs in it. In fact, the only one that's really out there turns out to be um, something called beets. Um, we call mm. it beetroot here in Australia. We call it beets there, that that yeah. purple stuff. And if if anything, Popeye should have been should have been taking uh, taking beets instead of uh, uh, um, spinach because beets turn out to have a, a chemical in them which can be used by the body to to generate. Uh, a, a, another chemical which improves the blood flow. So when you're exercising, um, this means that you get more blood flow to your muscles and more sustained and, and better performance. And this is why you see uh, uh, Olympic athletes, particularly endurance uh, and aerobic athletes, knee, you know, taking their, their beetroot immediately before their, um, their, 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 their events. Yeah. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not an enormous effect. It doesn't make you into superman but the difference between gold and silver is actually relatively tiny so um so a lot of them will do it i mean it it certainly changed the color of olympics drug testing i can tell you (laughs) yes
2: yes for anyone who's eaten beets i think they know what you mean by that yeah
1: (laughs) exactly because the chemical for those who don't know the chemical betaine which is purple in color which is contained in beets um, passes readily into into your urine and uh, and stains it a light pink color.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Very much so, yeah, yeah. That that's been those have been something that I I don't know why it hasn't caught on more. Although I know the science is out there, and I wasn't any kind of special athlete or anything when I was growing up. Uh, but but eating beets was something that our coaches encouraged us to do. And there's even a number of athletes in the United States that will endorse uh, the, the different uh, ways of of consuming uh, beets, whether it be actually eating beets or through pills or through some kind of powder. I don't know what it all entails because well, I don't I, play sports. I
1: mean, it's really nice that the, here's one thing that you can say, here's a vegetable, you take it, it actually does make you stronger. It actually does yeah. improve your performance. I mean, it's not a big effect, but it is a real effect. And it's just one example of, of something that, you know, they've tried. And of course, if you take it in other situations and they've tried it looking at in, in older people with impaired performance or, or other kinds of things. And and it does seem to make a, a very positive effect. So there is something in it. It's not huge. It's not something that'll immediately change your life, but it will uh, uh, make a make a small difference to your to to your overall. And when you add it up with all the other things that you could potentially do, it, it makes an enormous difference. The idea that vegetables could, and fruit in particular, could make a difference to our our, our health, um, actually came about from times when um, people uh, were. We're not getting enough um, in terms of fruit and vegetables. And the classic example of this was, you know, 300 years ago when people were going down like flies with scurvy. Mm. And this was a condition where they weren't getting enough fruit and vegetables. In other words, enough vitamin C. And so these sailors would come back after a long, long journey and they would be as weak as babies. And then suddenly they'd give them uh, oranges and lemons from St. Clemens, which is where the nursery rhyme comes from because uh-huh. the Clemens was the docks where the fruit was being sold. So they'd have their oranges and lemons, and suddenly they would get all strong and powerful again. And suddenly this is why eating your fruit and vegetables actually did make you strong after a, a long shortage of vitamin C. It, the difference between someone with scurvy and the, someone with uh, a, a full uh, deck of, uh, of, of oranges on board was as different as a normal healthy human being to Superman in terms of physical activity. So it's Hardly surprising people thought, wow, if it does this, what else is it going to do to our, our kids and whatever? But most of that is myth. There's no way that oranges and lemons nowadays, most of us get enough vitamin C through the other things that we eat because yeah. we use it as a preservative, um, um, really does make that, that kind of difference. So, but the, it's all about the history of how it came about and why we think that this, this makes a difference.
2: Yeah, it's, it's always interesting to me. Uh, we work in, an, in a large office with a lot of people in an open uh, space. And uh, the, the amount of people that will take extra vitamin C uh, as cold and flu season approaches and uh, how often that really just doesn't work because they're, they're going to get it anyway. might help them recover, but but uh, they kind of end up getting it anyway.
1: And But that, 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 that brings me to another <laughs> important thing, of course, is the one of the things that we address in, in, in the book is that that are, uh, and unlike many other longevity books, we actually look at specifically, you know, who's getting colds and flu, whether 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 that hot toddy, that little drink at night, keeps the colds and flus away. Mm. Whether getting cold um, uh, makes you get cold. All of those routine things about getting cold. If you think about all of the things that you might tell your kids about their their health, like uh, um, don't wipe your nose, wash your hands, all those sort of things. Most of them relate to the common cold, because let's face it more years of health are lost by, uh, uh, by humans to the common cold than almost any other illness. Considering that you get, you know, five colds a year and our kids will get t- two to three times that numbers um, and the days of, of reduced performance as a result, more years of life are lost into tissue boxes and, and, the t- and piles of tissues than there are into, into anything else. So if you wanted to actually not have longevity but actually have a long and healthy life, we have to try to avoid colds, and, mm-hmm. and, that, and that is possible because most of the colds we pick up aren't from, uh, as the famous jingle goes, coughs and sneezes spread diseases. They aren't from there. They're actually from things we touch um, mm. and bring to our eyes and our, and our mouth, and so that if we're more fastidious about, for example, washing our hands before eating, um, not picking our noses or rubbing things in our eyes you know, those are the those are the very simple things. If you get one less cold a year, that's an extra five days health on each year of your life multiplied by 80 years. It's, you know, it's it's more important than, than you know, preventing cancer in your life by actually not getting cold, by doing very simple things. You don't need to be, you know, one of these crazy people who are obsessive, compulsively washing their hands, but you need to be able to say, well, when I'm walking through an airport with hundreds of other people, the main way that I'm going to catch and a bug from them is something that I touch and bring to my eyes and mouth. It's not actually inhaled with all those masks going around. Mm. So before you have your meal, before you touch your face, before you touch your your, your, your mouth, you, you keep your hands washed. And those are very simple things that you can do. Gone are the days when everyone wore gloves. Yeah. Shame about that.
2: Yeah, yeah. We have uh, a little bit more uh, disease and a lot less uh, dueling. Um
1: and, and, more, and more people to, uh, to to share the bugs around.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we are out of time, and I feel like we barely scratched the surface on on the things that you have written in this book. It's called The Longevity List, and uh, you can find out more by, uh, about the book by going to our website, livehappynow.com. But is there anywhere else that you'd like people to take a look at uh, to, to find more information on your book or to even buy your book?
1: Well, um, I've got a a website, which is longevitylistbook.com, and that's the best place to go to find the the cheapest deals for getting hold of this book and hearing more um, about this book because I think it's it's one of the fun things that I've been able to do as a research scientist. I do the boring science all day, but this is the first chance that I've had a chance to to really delve into the things that matter to most people because they do them every single day, getting more sunshine, dealing with the stress, eating things that they think are good or bad for them. And now I've been able to find out what the evidence for them and actually some of the fun stories of why we might think they might be good or bad.
2: Beautiful. And you've also got the podcast, The Chopping List. We encourage folks to check that out as well. Well, Merlin, we thank you so much for being with us and uh, we'll look forward to
0: talking to you again very soon.
1: Thanks for having me on your show.
0: If you'd like to learn more about Merlin's latest book, The Longevity List, or his podcast, The Chopping List, visit us at livehappynow.com. And of course, while you're online, let us know what you thought of this podcast. You could do that on Twitter at LiveHappy or on Facebook.com slash livehappy or email us at podcast at livehappy.com. That's all the time we have today, so until next time, this is Jeff Sanders, wishing you a great day and hoping that every day you live happy.